Kia ora. This program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Good morning all and welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous Meeting on Air. My name is Dan and I'm an alcoholic and your chairperson for this morning's meeting. You can all say hi Dan if you want to. Hi Dan. Hi Dan. <laughs> hi everyone. <laughs> well, what we'll do is we, we will um, start this meeting with the serenity prayer. So I'd like you all to join me. God. God. Grant, grant me the serenity, serenity to, to accept, accept the things, things I, I cannot, cannot change. change. Courage to change, change the things I can. And, and wisdom, wisdom to know the difference. difference. Fantastic. All right, I'm going to read the AA preamble now. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of people who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution. does not wish to engage in any controversy neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. All right, well, in the studio today we have Kilburnie Monday night. This is the in-person meeting. There are two meetings now in Kilburnie Monday night. This is online version and in-person, so we're lucky to have the in-person crew here this morning, and it's a meeting that I've gone to myself in the Plunkett Rooms in Kilburnie, and it's a, it's a very prop, uh, popular meeting. So what they normally do is they read a bit of a uh, uh, <clears throat> a section of the big book, uh, the, the the text called Alcoholics Anonymous. So what I'll do is I'll pick a bit from there, <clears throat> and the, we've had a request to read the promises, which is on page, the bottom of page eighty three. So <clears throat> I'll I'll read that, and then we'll uh, we'll go over to the the sharing side of the meeting. So this is uh, a section from the Alcoholics Anonymous book. Chapters Interaction and the uh, the pages the bottom of page eighty three. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone. We will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realise that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialise if we work for them. All right, so after that reading, I will hand over to Chris. Would you like to share? Thanks, Dan. Uh, My name's Chrissy. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Chrissy. Um, I don't have to pick up that first drink today because of this simple program which I made complicated 
Uh, last Friday, I celebrated seven, seven years clean and sober. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and for me, that was an absolute miracle. Um, my first AA meeting was 30 years ago in September, which is a long, long time ago. Uh, why did it take me so long to get sober? Um, because I was always doing it to get something at the end of a period of sobriety. Um, I wanted prizes, and I didn't really want to stop drinking. I didn't know how to live life on life's terms. When you've been drinking for a couple of decades, um, that's all you know. That's all I knew. Um, I grew up in an alcoholic family, lots of abuse and violence, lots of um, unreliability and not knowing what was going to happen when Dad got home. And I swore I would never, ever be like him, nor my aunts and uncles, and I ended up probably worse than them. Um, From an early age, I learnt that I could have a bottle of wine on the fridge, I mean on the bench, and I could have like a cask of wine hidden in my room because a bottle of wine wouldn't be enough and I knew that the way that I guzzled back the alcohol was not normal. Um, I knew that I had to be quite secretive. Um, I took other substances as well and I ended up in violent, abusive relationships. So I really hadn't learned anything and... I I believe that the disease is hereditary and I believe that the patterns are hereditary too. You know, the outcome is never good if you're an alcoholic woman. The disease progresses and I just had to drink. Um, In my 20s I was quite successful. I had everything on the outside that I could ever want. But in the inside, I was just dying. I was suicidal, I was anorexic, I was totally mad. And I ended up in intensive care and with perforated stomach ulcers, and I just wanted to die. So the specialists told me I had to give up alcohol, drugs, and nicotine, and caffeine. So what did I do? I gave up caffeine for 12 years. That was easy. The nicotine, I was always on and off. But the alcohol, I had to to drink. I did a beer experiment. Um, I hated the taste of beer. I hated how it bloated up my stomach. And I kind of realised that the only reason I drank was for the effect. And if I could just stop at a certain level where I was feeling all good and giggly and all that kind of thing, then it would be all right, but I could never stop. I had to drink until I was passed out or there was none left. And the consequences got worse. I had a business. Um, I had a serious car accident and caused a lot of 
damage to the front of a dairy and five other cars. Um, I came back to AA because a lawyer suggested it would stop me from going to jail. Um, I also booked into the Bridge Treatment Centre. I went to a few AA meetings. Um, On the day I was going to treatment, in the afternoon I went to court in the morning. And I got some fines and a suspended sentence. But I also got this thing where I was not to be intoxicated for two years. And I thought, okay, we won't worry about that. Um, That afternoon, I went to the bridge. I drank a hip flask of vodka. Um, I made an absolute dick of myself. And they said to me, if you don't put recovery first... You'll have nothing left in your life. You'll be in jail and your life will be over. I thought, nah, no way. Um, I didn't believe anyone or anything. But in that treatment centre, I heard that alcoholism is a disease. It is a disease and it's progressive. Once I got into recovery, I realised that the recovery is progressive too. But obviously it didn't happen as fast as I wanted because I want everything now or yesterday. And these days I live in just today. I have one day at a time. Everyone who doesn't want to pick up that first drink or drug today just has today. And all we have to do is get through one hour, one minute, you know, one day. At the end of the day, I say thank you. In the morning, I read from a thing called the Daily Reflections book, and it has a reflection which relates to the steps and the traditions, which is what you work through from 1 to 12 with a sponsor when you come to AA, and you have a spiritual awakening and the um, promises that Dan read out come true. They do come true. Uh, I wouldn't say I have a life beyond my wildest dreams, but I probably do because I don't have to drink today. Um, I don't wake up and vomit. I haven't wet the bed. There's not some strange person whose name I don't even know in my bed and I'm not reaching out to get another drink on a Saturday morning. Um, And that is such a gift. Yes, I've ruined relationships. Yes, you know, my health is damaged. My skin is damaged. (laughs) My insides are damaged. And my mind is not like a normal person's. It never has been, and I don't think it ever will be. But I can just be another bozo on the bus, another person in recovery. And what keeps me coming back is because I identify with the people in the rooms. I try to help other women work through the steps. And when I'm not sitting around watching, binge-watching something on Netflix, when I'm working through the steps in the big book, which is our, not Bible, but it is our 
recovery thingy, you know what I mean? Um, I feel better about myself. I feel like I can give back. I feel like I don't have to judge anyone. Um, and it's that feeling of being okay. I have a higher power or a God of my understanding that actually keeps me sober. And I just do <clears throat> the boring work, which isn't boring. It's actually really good. I have a second go of life. <clears throat> and I have some friends for once, real friends. If I feel like drinking, I can call on many people that will talk me through you know, what I'm going to do and the consequences. Um, it works if I work at it, and thanks for listening. Thanks, Christy. <coughs> You're listening to Wellington Access Radio 106.1 FM, and this is Alcoholics Anonymous meeting on air, and we've got the Kilburnie Monday Night group in the studio today. Uh, if you are listening for the first time or you uh, resonate with what's been said and you want to get in touch with AA then you can go onto our website, which is aa.org.nz. On that website, there's lots of detail about um, how to find a meeting. There's uh, some questions you can ask yourself. Is AA for you? And there's also uh, details of how you can get in touch with AA straight away. So there's a phone number there, which is 0800 229 6757. And that number uh, is available anywhere in the country and there's usually an alcoholic that's a sober alcoholic that's ready to talk to you straight away if you've got questions about AA or about your drinking, about whether AA is right for you and if you don't want to call then you can email we've got an email address help at aa.org.nz and you can again ask questions about AA uh, you know whether it's for you and the easiest way to find a meeting is going to the website and to um, there's a section there called Find a Meeting. <laughs> and it's a matter of just selecting your city, selecting a time you want to go, click on Show Meetings Now, and it brings up a list of there's live meetings and there's online meetings as well. So there's plenty of options all throughout New Zealand about uh, meetings that you can attend if you're interested in, um, in sorting out your drinking. <laughs> all right, well, let's, um, <laughs> let's uh, hand over to the next person to share, so, which is Joe. Good morning, my name's Joe and I'm an alcoholic. Hi Joe. Yeah, it's good to be coherent and doing something responsible on a, this time on a Saturday morning. When I was drinking, the yeah, Saturday mornings were horrific. I just, I, I wouldn't be, I'd be just starting to peel my eyes together and starting to recall what I possibly did last night and my my mouth would be dry and, and I'd be as I'm recalling what I did last night I'd be you know, in remorse and swearing off I'll never do that again or my wife would be badgering me you did it again and alright I'll do something about it or, and I, with all honesty I, I would ring the alcohol and drug clinic or, and and then I'd say to my wife yeah, they're going to get back to me on Monday, or I'll go see them on Monday, and and it was, or I'd say to her, look, yeah, I'll do something about my drinking on on Monday, and it was always, yeah, well, Monday seemed to be a common 
resolved day for me, so I'm really pleased to have the Kilburnie meeting, uh, which meets on a Monday, so it is where I where I do do something about my my drinking on a Monday. I was mainly a, a binge drinker, and from when I started work, it seemed to be uh, always seemed to have gotten paid on a Thursday. So Thursday was my go to, no questions asked, go to the pub and have a drink day. <clears throat> and even when I got married, you know, my wife she couldn't see any reason why, you know, why I wasn't, a, you know, titled or eligible. You know, why it wasn't. You know, it sounded like a fair enough thing for me to go to the pub and have a couple of pints with the boys. And and in in our big book, it talks about about the alcohol being cunning and baffling. And it, for more probably more times than not, I was I, I would go to the pub have a few pints and come home and read the kids a bedtime story, you know, be even be reliable to bring fish and chips home for, for dinner, you know, at, you know. I'd go to the pub at four o'clock and come home at six o'clock. But as as time went by, the progressiveness of the disease was where where I found it harder and harder to just have those couple of pints. And, and I would make up excuses as to why I need to stay in the pub. I my alcoholism had me where where I'd go into a pub and as I walk in I would put my two dollar coin on the pool table and I'd be quite happy if it was half a dozen coins to the rear. So that means that oh yeah I've got to wait till all these games are played before I can have my game. And and I'd ring my wife Back then we didn't have cell phones, so she couldn't text me. I'd bring her and and say, "Oh yeah, I've met Johnny, and we're just going to have a game of pool, and you know, I'll, you know, I'll be home at you know a little bit later, and and then I, you know, it's a good chance that I could stay till, God knows how long, you know, and and I'd, you know, I'd have, you know, been a been the uh, breadwinner for the family. The, you know, I'd have I'd have my pay packet. In, you'd have folding money, so I'd have my pay packet in my back pocket, and there was a good chance that I would I, I, I would spend way more than the family budget could could handle. But yeah, you know, I, I now recognise you know the real cost of my drinking wasn't necessarily the hey barman give me another pint. It was the incidentals that went along with that, I'd be so wound up waiting to get to the pub that I would, I'd be in such a rush to get to the pub that I would park over a driveway and I'll think, I'll just go in, woof down a point to quench my thirst and then I'll come out and park the car properly in a minute. Mm. And I'd race in and I'd have my point and I'd come out. And I'd be quite happy to have, you know, that night to have just had those couple of points and gone home. But, you know, I'd, come back out and the car's been towed and that would make me so bloody angry that I would then go back and race down, you know, woof down half a dozen and and, and get home. My wife would, where's the car? Oh, it's been towed and, and it would just cause, yeah, just that 
total unmanageability that one of our, our first step talks about. In the last couple of years of my drinking, I always I used to be able to have that notion that next time I'll be different. If I just lay off the whiskies, you know, just stick to the beers, I won't get into a fight. And But yeah, those last couple of years, I seemed to develop a conscience and it, and it really escalated around things like where my my kids would come home with a, a note for parents meet the teachers. And I, yeah, yeah, I really want to, you know, uh, have input into how my kids are doing and, you know, and be the responsible parent and show interest. And 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 then I look at the note again, it's bloody on Thursday, why would they do that? You know, that's my go-to beer night. And I... Yeah, and then I, I remember turning up at one of those parents meet the teachers and the teacher's sitting across the table and I, I'm trying to, rather than engage, you know, how my kids are doing, I'm wondering, I wonder if she knows I've been drinking. I wonder how far I have to stand back from her so she won't smell my breath. And I'm just totally obsessed about, you know, the, I probably wasn't even drunk, I was probably just had a drink, just to level the nerves. Or what was what really got me down one time was where where I don't think I'd been drinking, but I turned up at, at my son's rugby practice to drop him off for rugby practice, and the uh, the coach there bailed me up and says, "Oh, can you help coach this year?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, hang on. No, I'm going to be busy on Tuesdays because I I couldn't trust myself to turn up on any given day in the future not have been drinking, so I would decline. And I remember sitting around the corner waiting for that hour of rugby practice to finish and I'd be absolutely hating myself for, you know, not being able to not being able to present myself. And oh, I just yeah, just and and then I'd get home and I'd throw another angry drink down and so yeah, as I say, yeah, I I had 25 years of trying to have justifying, you know, next time it'll be different. <clears throat> and I, I would be so convinced that I could I could control it that way, that if I just do this, just do that, don't do that. So what really brought it, my drinking to a head was when my wife gave up trying to change me. She just said, no, I, you know, I give up. I can see that if you carry on, you know the morals and values that you're you're eroding and passing on to your children is is not good. So her and the kids are not going to stick around to see where it takes them. So she up and left, and I she went out the front door. I opened the fridge door and started to drink my home brews. I had a I had a huge stockpile of home brew in my basement. <laughs> As a drinker, it wasn't a good day to give up drinking. But, yeah, I I realised I had enough to stay intoxicated for a bloody long time, but I didn't have enough to wash away those self-loathing, horrible feelings that I I had amounted for myself. So, yeah, I came along to the Coburnie meeting because I put down my last drink on a Saturday, googled my homebrew down the drain on Sunday and re, I relocated myself 
to a boarding house so that the wife and kids could have the house and then came to a meeting on Monday. And yeah, I've been coming ever since and that's over 20 years ago now. My kids were kids back then. They were 10 and going on 12. Now they're in their 30s. And I'm grateful I got sober when I did and was able to be a better parent and role model for them. And I got to coach that rugby team. I got such delight out of doing that. That was it was real trivial when I if I speak to normal people about it, but it was a real highlight in my life. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I was just and and what I realise now is that I only get I, in my life I only get one shot at doing that. If I'd a you know if I hadn't got sober and if I hadn't have taken the opportunity when I did get sober to do it. I could have missed it easy, and it was, and it, as I say, it's it makes me feel comfortable in my own skin, comfortable in my own neighbourhood to have, uh, you know, done my little bit. So yeah, I'm grateful that I got back with the family and stuff, and my kids are now moved on. They they do their own thing, got their own lives outside our family home, and. <clears throat> Yeah, it's, I just love how life goes in stages. You know, me and my wife, I've retired from work now. We're in the in that the golden stage. <laughs> <laughs> I really can't believe it myself sometimes. But I, I, I know if I was drinking, I'd be just dreading every day. Mm. And, yeah, I, yeah, coming to meetings and say... I know just coming to meetings is not enough. I, I had to uh, engage the program, get a concept of a higher power, and, and, and the change comes about from, from the steps. Getting rid of the alcohol was pretty much done in the first step. The rest is, is the reasons, uh, re- the character defects and things that I did that uh, the rest of the steps uh, address. And yeah, I remember giving up drinking countless times in the past, and that's all I ever did was gave up the drink. And I, I was lost. I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing or who I was supposed to be. So with the rest of the steps, I'm able to find out who Joe is and, and, and be a better person. And as I say, yeah, I... I even like myself, and I and I really do feel comfortable with my neighbourhood. I got a funny situation in that uh, where I live, there's a, a school across the road, and at three o'clock, up the top of my driveway, there's a, a turning area, and at three o'clock, the parents from the school congregate in this turning area. So, when I look out my window at three o'clock there's all these people congregating outside up up the top of my driveway if I was drinking I, I would figure that would be a lynch mob they're coming to get me <laughs> so it's really it's really freeing just to know they're just parents picking their kids up <laughs> but when I was drinking this paranoia like that was real rife. I, I, I used to feel uncomfortable going to my letterbox in case someone was walking down the street. And yeah, I'm just so grateful that 
you know, with the help of a higher power and the steps that that I'm, you know, free from all that paranoid stuff. Yeah, good thing about uh, I went to a meeting last night, so that sort of enabled me not to drink yesterday and last night. And the, and the good thing about that is that I woke up this morning not thinking I need the hair of the dog, and I'm able to, yeah, just do Saturday, do a whole Saturday. <laughs> and, yeah, I'm grateful to be sober, and I, I think that's about me. Thank you. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, this is uh, Wellington Access Radio 106.1 FM, and you're listening to Alcoholics Anonymous meeting on air, and the, the, the Kilburnie Monday night group are in the studio today. Uh, now, we uh, this meeting, if you're listening to it live, that's great, on the radio. You might be listening to this on a podcast as well, but however you're listening to it, uh, just to let you know that we do have an online presence as well. We're on Facebook, and we've got a Facebook page. It's called AA On Air Wellington. And so feel free to find it on Facebook, AA On Air Wellington, and you can like us. And you can send us messages as well, if you like, which we respond to. We don't post that often, but but we do respond to messages. And every so often, someone from outside of New Zealand will be listening and they'll want to send us a message. And every so often, we might read that meeting, that message out on the air. And obviously, we keep the anonymity of the people sending the messages. Um, you know, we, we don't uh, reveal their full names, for example. So you're just uh, letting you know that, yeah, we... AA on Air Wellington is on Facebook. All right, well let's um, let's carry on with the sharing now. So Emma, would you like to share? Yeah, thanks. Um, my name's Emma. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Emma. Hi. Hey, look. Um, gosh, I'm I'm a. I suppose I've been sober for two and a half years. So I'm sort of the baby in the room, I guess, in the program. Um, and I very much do still feel new to the program. Um, someone's earlier said that you know the alcohol is puzzling and baffling and um, for me I was never really aware of alcohol's role in my life um, until it essentially took over my life and um, everything had to be completely in disarray before I sought any help for it. And when I did, it was um, in an instinctive sort of way, really. I just found myself looking up AA um, on a website and then turning up to a beginner's meeting, actually, in Newtown and sitting in the car park, just watching people coming and going. And one of the things I used to do a lot when I was drinking was, shamefully, I used to be driving as well. So, um, you know, and that's clearly a problem. Um, it's amazing that I didn't kill myself or anybody else. But, uh, yeah, luckily I didn't. Um, so in that, that night in the car park, I was sitting there watching people coming and going, and I was surprised by um, the variety of people. Um, and I think a lot of us, when we hear about AA meetings, when we're young, we see them in a movie, we see something like that, we see the people sitting in the circle, it's very American, um, so there's a lot of jokes about that sort of thing and then there's the classic idea of the alcoholic who's somebody shambling around the street it wasn't, I didn't, I didn't relate to any of those things but when I saw those people coming and going out of the meeting um, you know it was young, it was old, male, female, every type of person um, and that's what helped me 
open my car door and walk in the door, which was really, really quite nerve wracking. <laughs> However, when I got in, I just sat at the back and I listened and someone came and talked to me and I raced out again. Um, and I, you know, I was drinking that night and I kept drinking and I came back again a couple of times. Um, the Kilburnie meeting was the one that um, sealed the deal for me, I guess. I'd got to the point where um, the first step is about our lives being unmanageable um, and being powerless over alcohol. And I guess I looked on the wall and I saw that first step and I was 100% clear in that moment that that was the case. Um Drinking for me, I discovered drinking when I was in my teens, like a lot of people. Um, in my childhood, I was, you know, I was a pretty happy, cheerful sort of child. Things went relatively smoothly, and then the teenage years sort of hit me um, like a brick. I was, I struggled with everything. Life was really hard. I struggled at school. Um, you know, there was things like I couldn't tell the time until I was quite quite a lot older. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't deal with numbers. I couldn't. There's all sorts of issues um, for me with school. I was distracted. Um, I've been reading a bit of stuff lately about neurodiverse women, <laughs> women with diverse brains, and how they're often not picked up in the school system. And you know, I was I was naughty and disruptive. And I I remember being completely unable to control my behaviour and unable to stop talking, unable to stop disrupting causing problems, um, you know, I didn't want to go to school, I didn't feel like people got me, everything was hard. Um, and when I discovered alcohol, I guess what it was for me was medication. It took the edge um, off all of that stuff and it made me, I thought, made me funnier, able to communicate with people properly, able to talk to people who made me anxious um, and the life and soul of the party, really, to be honest. Um, and, you know, and when I finally got, and I, you know, I became very depressed and anxious in my 20s um, as well, which just rolled on from my teens, really. And so I just drank more. Um, I went to the doctor and all they seemed to be able to offer was useless counselling and antidepressants. So alcohol uh, seemed to be much more effective. Um <laughs> Of course, alcohol cancels out antidepressants, I now know. Mm. But um, so I carried on like that. Um, when I was, I sort of shambled through a degree and all the rest of it and managed to blag my way into a position where I had a reasonable amount of money compared to some of the people around me, uh, which I set about spending as fast as I could um, and having the best time I possibly could. Um, and a lot of the antics I got up to when I was young, when I was drinking, um, you know, people. Will, some people I know will still tell stories about them, and some of them are funny. Um, but a lot of the stuff that happened, people didn't see, and it happened with people that I'll never meet again. But you know, I would be with my friends, and we would be, you know, at my flat drinking, or we would be out on the town, and I would get to a certain point of drinking, and everybody else would have had enough, or be passed out, or whatever, and I would get this sort of devil on my shoulder that would want me to go off and the more I drank um, and find people I didn't know and get myself into the riskiest possible situations. Um, and often I'd be doing that by myself, you know, and then I'd be home at three in the morning. Um, and look, I related to what Joe said about his family. 
you know, leaving and just opening the fridge. Um, I had a relationship in my 30s where, um, you know, there was someone who was wanted to be with me, but they were sick of <laughs> sick of that behaviour and coming home at three in the morning and stuff. And um, I remember thinking, I just want them to go, get out of the house, leave me alone so I can get on with drinking. And that was much more important to me than everybody around me. I still didn't recognise alcohol as a problem at that point. I would recognise it probably more as a solution because it dulled um, any of the uncomfortable thoughts that I had. So time went on and, you know, I think about the different phases of life. There's the life with alcohol and there's a life without alcohol. But for me, within that drinking time, which is a lot of my life, um, there were different phases within that as well and I would sort of reinvent myself. Um, I never really tried to stop drinking because I didn't see it as a problem. Um, Towards the, by the end of my drinking, um, I was drinking, and you hear this from a lot of people with a similar story, drinking by myself um, on the couch. There was nothing social about it. Um, I was either driving around by myself drunk or drinking myself to sleep on the couch. And um, slowly, culmination of things happened, but um, things became intolerable. And I can't really explain why I suddenly made that connection and went off to AA. Um, A lot of people in AA would describe that, I guess, as a God job or whatever. God intervenes and off you go. I'm not... I'm not a religious person who goes to church, but I guess through AA, and I'm a spiritual person. So I think that, um, you know, you pre- you're presented with these crossroads in your life and you make a choice. Um, and you're helped. Uh, you, you can only be helped in that by turning over, I guess, your self-will and desire to control everything around you and asking for help from others. Um And by the time I got to AA, I was out of options. I didn't know what to do. I knew that everything was wrong, everything was bad, um, and I was prepared to accept that alcohol was probably the reason, one of the reasons. Um, And when I looked at the wall and read, I have no power of alcohol, my life's become unmanageable. It it had become clear to me that for me, drinking was like being a rat on a wheel. Like I, I remember very clearly in the last year of my drinking, suddenly realising that as I poured a glass of wine, I was thinking about the next glass of wine as I poured it. And so it had become a chain, like chain smoking. So I wasn't enjoying the wine. I wasn't even, it wasn't even that I was thinking particularly I needed that glass of wine. I was more worried about where the next one was coming from. So everywhere I went, I was looking around, seeing who had what, what bottles of what they had, how much they were drinking and planning where the next one was. And that, almost to me, that little bit of evidence was the proof that um, I was out of control. So, yeah, AA um, has has completely changed my life. I I know that um, now I don't have, I don't wake up thinking about alcohol. I don't even think about alcohol when I've spent quite a bit of time in bars and stuff, actually, because of my life circumstances, um, and I don't even think about alcohol when people are drinking, drinking it right in front of me. And that was, that, that's, if, if someone had said to me in 2018, that's where I'd be. If they'd said, you're never going to drink again, but you can also sit there and watch someone else drink, I would have just said, you're mad. What do you mean? It wouldn't have even been a concept that I could even consider. Um, 
grasping. So, yeah, that's a huge life change for me. It sounds like a small thing, but um, it's actually not. <laughs> Thought that's me. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Emma. <laughs> You're listening to Wellington Access Radio 106.1 FM and this is Alcoholics Anonymous meeting on air. And we have the Kilburnie uh, Monday night live group in the studio today. And we've got a little bit of time left, so I'll do a bit of a share myself. So um, I'm, I'm Dan, I'm an alcoholic. And um, yeah, it's a real pleasure for me to be in the studio as well because it's been a while for me. And um, uh, Victoria's been doing a great job of running these, um, these radio shows. But I'm I'm still super super grateful that I can get up on a Saturday morning and um you know I've got a, a really cool day planned. It was my um you know my partner's birthday this morning, so I was able to provide lots of uh, really nice things for her and go out for dinner with her last night and you know just really focus on that and be um you know be there for her and really think about her. <laughs> and that's kind of like um that, that certainly wasn't uh, part of my way of being when I was an active alcoholic, like I was focused on me and what I could get out of the situation and how I could manipulate things. And yeah, alcohol did a lot for me. Some of it was good, but not all of it. Like overall, it, um, it took more than it gave. And I ended up, you know, I, I had a lot of good times and I used to thoroughly enjoy getting drunk and being in bars and being surrounded by drunk people and being at parties and Loved it. I lived for the weekend, and uh, you know, eventually it just got. I, I, you know, I, I caught myself at a weak moment once, and ended up in an AA meeting, <laughs> and um, ended up just keep coming. You know, keep I uh, keep coming coming to AA, and um, yeah, since that that meeting that I, I mean, it wasn't my first ever meeting, but uh, since that meeting, I've managed to um, stay sober. And it hasn't always been easy, and I've had lots of life changes and um, you know reasons to drink, I suppose. <laughs> but I haven't been, I haven't picked up a drink, and you know part of the reason for that is that life's so good, and um, you know like if life wasn't just you know, super amazing and it didn't get better straight away and continue to get better, maybe I would go back out drinking. I don't know, but um, right, I'm still scared of. Of picking up a drink and going back out because if that happens, I'm, I don't know whether I'd come back into AA or not, and I don't really want to take that chance. I'd just rather um, stay here and stay stay in the middle of the boat, as they say. And I, I think that the the um, well, the most rewarding thing for me in AA is is doing things to help other people, and I kind of you know I try and pick the cool things like. <laughs> doing a radio show and I formed a band from AA members and we played at a convention and that sort of stuff and the band's still together and it's just kind of kind of awesome, you know. Um, and, um, yeah, but it's also like helping helping one person to another. It's like, you know, once once we get sober, we just don't know how much help we can give to one other person, like one-on-one. Sometimes we're the only one that can help and we can help like no one else can. And I've I've experienced that. You know, I've I've worked one on one with you know quite a few people, and and a lot of them have got sober, and some of them are still sober now, which is fantastic. You know, and um, but I think like I didn't know how much help I could be to that one person. You know, more than doctors, psychiatrists, 
all those people that try and help us. You know, another alcoholic is the one that can really help. And how do you get in touch with those alcoholics? Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> Through the website, aa.org.nz, and, um, and also the, the phone number, 0800-229-6757. And the great thing about, about the, these um, you know, helping others um, is that we don't ask for anything in return. It's like we do it to help ourselves. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's, I don't know, it, just, it doesn't make sense to me sometimes. You know, we've got to give it away to keep it, but it works. It's worked for me. People have helped me so much, and now I do my, my bit to help other people. And it absolutely works. I mean, you know, I haven't had a drink for nearly 11 years. And that to me is just, <clears throat> it's, you know, it's outrageous. Anyway, um, <clears throat> that's that's me, and we'll, we'll close the meeting now with, with the serenity prayer. So if you'd like to all, um, all join me, that'd be great. That program was brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Thanks New Zealand On Air for funding accessmedia.nz.